0: I love your church. I love your city. I remember I came here, I think, four years ago, and uh, it was was interesting because I've been to Ireland before, and I am a wannabe Irishman, really. My last name is Burns, so I thought maybe there's a little Irish in my name, and I did that DNA thing, and I was so disappointed. I'm almost all German. (laughs) There's a little bit of me, I think like one sperm came from Scotland, Scotland, you know? And anyway, um, so, but, but I love Ireland. You know why I I love it? One of the main things about it should listen to yourself. Sing you hear everybody's singing. Not everybody's got a perfect voice, which is what I love. Like my family, I have five brothers and five sisters and we get together for Christmas and I, we kind of always have to post a video of us singing Christmas carols because my family are the worst singers in the world. <laughs> but they don't care. They all sing as loud as they can and they, we sing every verse. Yeah. And when I first came to Ireland, um, I was with Pastor Jamie. Corcoran. And he took me to the pub, <laughs> which, you know, uh, if you're a pastor in North America, it's like, yeah, what? Um, but here, I, I just realized it's it's culture. And uh, at the end of the night, though, these people start piling into the pub and they're all in the back corner, bringing their instruments in, start singing songs. And, uh, and I just loved it. Because it was probably about 40 of them there, and the ages were like from seven to 70. And it doesn't matter how good you sing, they all sang. And they all took turns, they all did something, and I I just thought, wow, I love this. So, and they came back the next time, I was um, driving from Dublin with Jamie down to Cork, and I asked him, I said, so what's a typical Irish song like uh, when Irish eyes are smiling, he said, "No, that's an American song." He said, "A typical Irish oh, song, the fields of Rye. He said, "If you ever sing that anywhere, everybody will stop whatever they're doing and sing with you." I thought that was a gross exaggeration. So when I got down here, it was interesting because we were upstairs and we were going to have a an arc um, pastors meeting upstairs, and um, Pastor Mike was setting up the the you know audio stuff and all that and he was on the microphone and he's testing one two three testing testing so i said to him can you sing also it depends i never met him before but he said it it depends what and i said can you sing the fields of bath and rock he starts singing it there was about 20 30 people in the room they all stopped and started singing along i thought this is cool so, on the way back to Dublin the next day because I was preaching in in the church in the morning, I googled it and I found the music to it and and uh, I learned it just looking at the music so the next morning i'm i 'm um, ready to to preach and I said before I preach, I just want to try something and they brought me an accordion do you know what an accordion is yeah. Yeah. often i take accordion to the, into the schools in our area and I'm playing it. and I, I stop and say, what is this? And they don't have a clue. <laughs> accordion like the coolest instrument there is. You need to be very, very, very coordinated to play it. And that's why most people stick with easy things like guitar. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so I picked up this red accordion, strapped it on to play The Fields of Athenrae. <laughs> the place came apart, and I didn't have to preach. The- Everybody loved me right there. <laughs> so anyway, I love that song though, isn't it? it's, it's gorgeous, it's very, it gives you culture. That's what I love about I- Ireland. I am a wannabe Irishman because the culture, and if you are from Ireland or if you're new to Ireland and you get to be an Irish person, you need to actually stop and appreciate that and love that. But I love the worship this morning. I love the, the um, band Rend. And what the, the songs we sang, one of theirs, at least one. I don't know if they're both. Aren't they more than one? The first one is, right? And then I love that last one we did, The Goodness of God. Yeah. My wife, when she first heard that, uh, she had to pull over on the road because she was crying so much. Just, it was just like, wow. And she said to me, if, John, if, if I die before you... I know what I want at my funeral. And that's one of the songs that she wanted. So um, just never take it for granted what you get to have. And I hope that COVID taught us a few things. Don't take it for granted that we get to actually come together. And for all of you teenagers, um, one of my goals in life is to be the oldest living teenager. In other words, I never want to grow up. Amen. But here's a really interesting thing. You want to talk to the most alive person on the planet? Typically, talk to a four-year-old. And if you're going to talk to a four-year-old, ask them, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you will see their eyes light up. And you will see them shoot for the stars. I'm going to be whatever you think is the greatest you're gonna be that. I'm gonna be the president, or I'm gonna be a yeah. football player, or I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that. It's like amazing. And and the sad thing is that if you take that person 10 years later and ask them, what are you gonna be when you grow up? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I think what happens as we grow older is we start to allow the world around us to get inside of us. And so teenagers, don't ever grow up. Really. Stay alive. Jesus said, I've come to give you life in that more than you can handle. Okay? Don't have less than what you had. Every day you can have more than what you can handle. Let me give you three things about teenagers, okay? Uh, I would rather preach to teenagers than to anybody else. Why? Because they, they actually have more life to live than most of us in the room. Many of, many of us in the room are more than half dead. But, but there's three reasons I think teenagers are amazing. Number one is they're geniuses. They really are. They have answers to the world's greatest problems. Why? Because most of us have just accepted it. That's the way it is. Yes. Yeah. And when we accept it, that's the way it is. We stop trying to think of the answers. But they don't think that way. They think we, 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 we could change the world. And, and that's good. Keep thinking that way. But let, let me help you. What you need is a little gray hair. Ah. <laughs> Which means you need to actually have some, some older people. Yes. that have walked it and love you and wanna push you further on in life, but you have answers. Yes. Don't stop being like that. Number two, teenagers are all about relationships. If you ask a teenager to go somewhere, the, the first thing they're gonna ask you, who's there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, life is all about relationships. And I just love it that that they're connected that way. And they can make a difference in the world and thirdly they're passionate mm-hmm. a lot of ministries in the world when it comes to teenagers think let's just make it easier for them let's just make it easier let's find a time that fits their schedule let's let's do all the stuff that that makes them feel good let's have more movies and this 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 and my answer is no don't tell them that you're you're not strong that you can't do this you can't because we'll just give it all to you it's like in this you know the schools that you know around the world especially in Canada let's just make sure they have all the condoms they need which means we know you can't handle yourself you're not strong enough to deal with yourself so here just go ahead we'll keep you safe as you know weak people but you're not weak to me, the answer is raise the bar. Amen. Why? Because you're passionate. In other words, you're not looking for easy road. Actually, what I think you're really looking for is a reason to give your life away. Yes. A reason to, to live all out. Change the world. Please. We need you. And I'm so thankful that you're in church. This is the best place why because you know it's good that you got physical bodies that can do a lot of things but more important than what's in your body is in your head but more important of what's in your head is in your heart Mm -hmm. and this is where you get your heart fueled so you come to church don't come to church just to bide your time do your part come to church to get fed walk out of here Feeling like strength in the inside of you. Amen. I, I Really do love you and I, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak I, I, I love Ireland. I love Cork. What a gorgeous city. I'm, I'll never forget last time I was here I've told everybody about that trip and I've told everybody about Ireland and, and I, I don't just say it in Ireland or all over the world I'm a wannabe Irishman and and I'm, then I tell them why it's a it's a really, really rich culture that you have. Um, but I only have a few minutes and I'm gonna just tell you a few stories and what I would like is by the time I'm finished you can feel your hearts. Because if you can't feel your heart, you're just existing. And it's not it's not really worth it to just exist. See, Jesus said this in order to find your life, you've got to give your life. And giving your life is is finding a way to or a reason to invest your life to give it away and when you do you get more that's why jesus said i've come to give you life and that more everybody say more 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 than you can handle more than you can keep on the inside of you such that you actually bubbles over actually something happens on the inside of you that gets gets on you and around you such that when you walk into a room, the room's not the same anymore. Everybody notices something happens. Jesus on the inside of us is, is wanting to use us in so many ways, but to me, it, it happens when we actually receive and allow that more, that, that life and that more abundantly. Uh, uh, I wrote a book years ago called The Miracle in a Daddy's Hug. Kind of a dumb topic isn't it but it really comes out of a story i have three daughters my youngest daughter i don't know if you guys know anybody or maybe you've seen or gone through some stuff like this she was about 13 14 and i found out that uh, she had an eating disorder she was starving herself anorexic and bulimic and i thought oh no i must be the worst dad in the world I thought I'll fix it. Dumb, you can't fix that. I thought I'll teach her what to eat, what not to eat, all the rest of it, and uh, I did everything I could, and it just seemed to get worse. And I, I, I was at the end of myself. It was a number of years later, and I was scared for her life. She was so skinny. I, I don't know if she's, you know, it's lethal for a lot of people. A lot of teenagers don't make it, and. I got to the place where i was so scared i fell on my knees before god and i cried out to god and i said lord just heal my little girl i'll do anything i'll give my life for you just heal my little girl and i was i was so broken and i felt he did something but not for her for me i i literally felt his arms wrap around me and it's like My dad, daddy in heaven, put his arms around me and I heard him say, it's going to be okay, Johnny. He calls me Johnny. Um, And when he says it's going to be okay, when dad says it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. All that fear left. I had this confidence. And I, I remember getting up, thinking everything's going to be okay. And then I look at Danica and nothing changed. She still had a dark cloud over her, and I, I didn't know how to get what was in me into her. And one day, um, she comes out of the bathroom with that look on her face the look of shame. You ever seen that? And I just, oh, Danica, come here. I still remember that day. And, uh, you know, and she was so, she knows she, she, she knew she was caught. And she was so shameful, I said, Danica, come here. And she was hesitant, I said, come here. Finally she did, I didn't know what to do, but what happened is I just put my arms around her and held her. And as I held her, my eyes started leaking and she was getting baptized in daddy's love. And out of the abundance of my mouth, my abundance of my heart, my mouth, just these words, Danica, Nothing you could ever do could make me love you more Nothing you could ever do could make me love you less. I just love you. I'll always love you you're, you're my princess. You'll always be my princess and as I was holding her I just felt like there was a miracle Happening on the inside of her and she was like this little bird with broken wings and and, uh, and as, as I was holding her I felt the wings just starting to heal, you know, and she's starting to fly again which means dream again which means she she can do this again. She's you know this, and and this is the beginning of a miracle. And the doctors at that time said she she kind of wrecked her body so that she couldn't have children. Well, she's got two, and, and she she's amazing. But I wrote this book. I wrote this book about the miracle in a daddy's hug, and uh, what it is is the always and forever. What it is, is that nothing you could ever do. Nothing you could ever do could make me love you less, could make me love you more. That's God's love. If his love was determined by what we did, we're in trouble. But his love is independent of that. And when I wrote the book, I actually recognized that That um, everybody needs that hug. Everybody needs that love. And some people, you're not going to be able to physically put your arms around them. There's lots of reasons for that. But you can hug them. And a lot of times, it's just your words. And I feel like when I get up here and I've got a few minutes with you, I just want to hug you. And I just want you to let God do what he did to me with you. And I'll just use my words. I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, I was born in a big family. I'm the second oldest of eleven. Uh, yes, and we were Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, growing up as a, as the second oldest, I was the worst. Mm-hmm. My mom will tell you I was more trouble than the rest, the other ten put together, and very proud of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I got punished a lot. And my punishment, if I was a bad boy, which was all, almost always, I had to go to church. That was punishment. Go to church every day. And if I was really, really bad, um, I had to kneel down and pray. So to me, church and God and all that was punishment. And I, it wasn't something I was looking forward to at all. And, uh, but I had a problem as a kid. And that was I stuttered. I couldn't talk. Really, they—they they, back in grade two, they, they, they were talking about putting me in a special school because I, I, I couldn't talk. i stuttered all the time. And it, it ruled my life. It was a fear. It was this little voice that says, you can't talk, you can't. If you try to do that, you're going you're to stutter and everybody's going to laugh at you. And, you know, that voice has been true every single time. It's been right. So I began to really listen to it and trust this voice. And my whole life was was governed by that. I always would go that way, do anything I did so that I didn't have to go that way, which was I might have to talk. I actually got to the place where I was in grade 12. And uh, this friend of mine, lunch hour, got to my locker and he's next to me and he said, hey, John, there's this girl that likes you. And that really didn't get my interest because I was afraid of girls. Why? I never talk to a girl. Why? Because you have to talk to them. And, you know, I like to look at them and think about them and all the rest, but, but not talk. And, but, but he said to me, but if you do go out with her, don't mention God. or She'll talk your ear off. She's one of those Christians. <laughs> I didn't know what a Christian was. I did not know. I don't know if I was a Christian. I've gone to church every Sunday of my life. Um, you know, is a Catholic a Christian? I don't know. But something went click on the inside of me. Next thing I remember, I found her. And she was at her locker, and it was getting close to the end of lunch hour, and I was talking to her. Weird. And I convinced her to skip out of school with me for the afternoon, which was the very first time for her, but the millionth time for me. And uh, um, we skipped out, took my dad's pickup. You know, I was driving and parked it, and I asked her, it really took me that long to get anything out why am I not supposed to mention God I don't know if you've ever known anybody like that but if you do oh, my heart goes out you know that it's not a neurological problem it's not a physical problem it's a fear it's a liar and if you believe the lie it'll happen Exactly what you believe, you get what you believe. The liar says you can't talk and you believe it, you can't talk. And so I you know, asked her why am I not, not supposed to mention God, God and she talked my ear off. I fell in love with, I think I fell in love with what was on the inside of her before her. She was the first girl I ever talked to and she's now my wife for 48 and a half years. Her name's Helen. She's amazing as I go, I get introduced as Helen's husband. And they go on and on and on about Helen. And, oh, yeah, by the way, here, here's her husband. Um, she's amazing. But the thing is, uh, what was on the inside of her, I needed to get inside me. And so, when I was with her, I knew there was something about her. And if I, I felt like when I was with her, I felt like a light bulb plugged into the wall. And when I wasn't with her, there wasn't any life. And um, a few months later, she goes off to a, a kid's camp and I'm by myself and lonely. Oh, yeah, I could sing the songs, lonely old me and all the rest of it. But I got to the place where oh, something has to change. And I realized what she'd been saying to me was this Jesus was everything. That was the difference. And all I needed to do was ask him. And he's here. He's, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's always ready and wanting. Ask him to come into my heart and be my Lord. And I'd have the same thing she has. And so I did. I'll I never forget. I cried all night long. I, I knew that I knew. I knew, the Heaven was my home. Something had changed. But I still stuttered. I still had fear. And I I didn't know how to get rid of that. So even though I was a Christian, we stopped going to church. We got married pretty soon and stopped going to church. You know why I didn't go to church? Because someone might ask me my name. That's how bad it was. And I went to university, graduated as a dentist. This was four years after we got married. And I moved about 500 miles or 500 kilometers up north to build a dental practice, build a house and all the rest of it. And Helm stayed home and she wasn't coming up. To her, she she could not keep this marriage. She couldn't handle, even though she'd been raised as a Christian and and never thought that she'd get married and and divorce or anything. But she just couldn't handle the pain of our marriage. And it wasn't that like we were abusing each other or anything like that. It was just like there was neglect. I didn't talk. I never said I loved you. I never told her the things that she needed to hear. And And it's painful when you don't hear what you need to hear. It's painful when when someone thinks you should just know that I love you, which I, I, you know, why don't you ever say I love you? I told you when I married you. and If I ever changed my mind, um, which doesn't work. And so she's at home, I'm 500 kilometers away. And um, she tells the story how one night she takes our two little girls and tucks them in bed. um, And she's pregnant with number three. She's walking back into our bedroom. We're looking at this big pregnant belly. And uh, it's like, how did I get here? All her life, all she wanted to be was a great mother, a uh, um, great wife, a great Christian. And everything's falling apart. And she falls on her knees and opens her Bible for the first time in a long time. And she thought God would be mad at her. Instead, God just began to, sh- to tell her how much he loved her. And she began to change. And I remember her phoning me and I'm wondering, who is this? She's not talking like I like, like normally hear. And um, my life began to change. It was not too long after she opened her Bible and that was this revelation to her that she thought, now, God, I know you love me and I believe you love John too. She took her Bible and said, could you show me why? In other words, she didn't see in me anything lovable, but God obviously did. So she began to search her Bible. And really, this is such a key. She began to find every verse that talked about a man of God, talked about a husband, talked about a father. She'd circle it and write John. And then she began to thank God for John according to what the Bible says. In other words, her prayers began to change in a major way. And really, I am 500 kilometers away, innocent to all this, and my life changes. I get up Sunday morning and, and, and for some weird reason, I wanna to go to church. And I didn't know why, I was, um, but I get to church and I'm obviously gonna be late. I wanna be late so that I'm the last one in. no one's gonna to talk to me. And I'm gonna sit in the back row so I can be the first one out. But something began to happen every time I was in church. Something began to happen on the inside of me. It stirred up and I didn't want to leave. God was doing something and my life began to change. She actually ended up moving up and bringing the kids and their family got together. And we're going to this great little church that changed our life. And, and, And someone invited us to one of these, it was called Full Gospel Businessmen. It was one of these Holy Ghost meetings, which was weird. In so many ways, but it changed my life, got to this thing. And because the speaker testimony, he, he was just sharing his testimony, was a Catholic and a doctor. I'm thinking, I can handle that Catholic background, doctor. Okay. But all he did was talk about miracles. And every time he talked about a miracle, my, my, my life would just, you know, rise up. I never heard anything like this before. At the very end, he quotes Acts chapter one, verse eight, which Jesus said, Wait, don't, don't, don't do anything, but wait, I said. wait for the Holy Spirit, because when he comes upon you, he'll give you power to be my witness. Hallelujah.
1: And this guy said,
0: anybody in the room want that power? Well, I didn't know what witness meant. I thought witness just meant speak. And if God was going to give me power to speak, I'm, I'm in. So I, I just got off with all thinking and went to the front. And he prayed the simple prayer for me. He said, God, fill John with the Holy Ghost from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And I fell like a thermometer. Something filling me up. And my hands fell up in the air. And he said, go ahead and thank the Lord. And I began to thank the Lord, but I couldn't understand what I was saying. I didn't know what was going on. Hallelujah. My head was going tilt, tilt, tilt. My heart was going, yes, yes, yes. I walked out of there. And when, when I went to the front, Helen went out the back. She is raised Mennonite, which is you know, that Holy Ghost stuff. Uh, and, and she's walking, pacing back and forth out the back. Oh, God, help my husband. He has not a clue. <laughs> she's, she's worried. I get out of there and she said, I looked like I swallowed a light bulb. And first thing she said, did, did you pray in tongues? I said, is that what it was? Yes. <laughs> so I got what I asked for. You know what I asked for? I didn't ask for tongues. I asked for power to be a witness. Have you heard me the last few minutes? Anybody heard any stutter? I, I don't stutter anymore. Hallelujah. That was the end of it. Amen. But you know what I realized? For 25 years of my life, I believed a lie. The lie was you can't talk. I wonder what else he's lied to me about. So everything that the devil said, he come along and said, you can't do this, you can't do that. It was like, like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Jesus. <laughs> That's my alarm. Sorry. <laughs> Dumb. I don't I ever said it. I never pay attention to it. Um, anyway. Where was I? Yeah. So the devil said you can't do that. Yeah. Should never say that to me. Really. I did this fundraising thing um, for Mercy Ministries, which is this home for girls in a, you know abuse that we started in Canada, and I run carrying my golf clubs, play a hundred holes in a day. The first time I asked the, the golf pro at our course whether I could do that, he said, impossible. Don't ever say that to me. <laughs> it's waving a red flag in front of a yes. ball. So I did that for five years, and, and Helen was worried that I was going to kill myself. So she said, promise you'll never do the 100 holes thing again. I said, okay, I promise. The next year, I did 200. <laughs> anyway. Um, and let me quickly give you some keys to life that I've learned. Okay, keys to building life that's going to last. Uh, my one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 13:22, which says, "A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man, a good woman, leaves an inheritance to his children's children." So I don't know if you're good till I see your grandkids. A lot of what we do is about what we can do right now. Are we really good at that? No, no, no. What you do right now, really, it's not about you. It's about leaving something for the generations. And what we get to do is invest our lives in the generations. And then we invest by giving. That's what investment is. And we invest by giving our lives. But our lives is just seen by what we get to act out and speak. So recognize that every one of us, we can make a difference, but it's about investing your love. So it's about, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, by your love. Love that doesn't cost is just a feeling. It's always going to cost us. So every day look for opportunities, not for easy. You are creator for easy. Amen. We don't need easy people. We need people that are ready to do something to change the world. Do something that's going to cost you. Do something that's not easy. You know, if you just keep on doing what you've always done, nothing changes. In other words, actually you become invisible. Nobody even sees what you're doing anymore. Look for opportunities. Every day is full of them. So let me quickly give you some things that have changed my life. Number one is recognize the miracle of relationships. Relationships is a miracle. But it's not about being together, necessarily. It's not about just being in the same room, or even being married, sleeping in the same bed, or having the you a know, meal together. No, relationships is a miracle. And the miracle is when you become part of each other. And I learned this, this the, the, I think the greatest lesson in my life, I learned when my oldest daughter, who, by the way, now, is our lead pastor, and I, I, I love it that she is a she. Hallelujah. I love it that she is a she. Because, do you know the greatest abused people group on the planet? Are females. Yeah. In a lot of places in the world, when it, it you know, in the birthing room, when it's, it's a girl, yeah. it's actually a death sentence. Yeah. And the church has always been called to right the wrong. And a lot of ways, we made a mess of it, and so I love it. But anyway, um, when she was eight years old, God healed me, and I was no longer a stutterer. Everybody wanted to hear what, I, you know, what happened to me. I was traveling, I, th- I thought I was somebody, you know, dumb. And on my way home, on a trip too long, been away from home, and I get this idea, and I buy this little kid's card, and I wrote on it, Dear Angela, please be my special date on Thursday night, love, Daddy. I never heard of it before. This was 38 years ago. Put it on her pillow and I come home from work that night and I'll never forget this. This is, this is the picture that I have. I walked in the front door and we have a staircase that went up like this and I looked up and out stepped the queen, eight years old. Perfect hair, daddy dress on, a little bit of makeup on, you know, frills and all the rest. And she begins with her chin up like this. This, she's walking down the stairs like this. <laughs> that is the wedding walk <laughs> every little girl practices that for the most important man in her world and it was surprising to me it was me but you know I went upstairs to put my best black suit on took my date by the arm we went to this restaurant had a candlelight dinner, you know, dinner together and then I thought how do you talk to an 8 year old she was only eight. I loved her with all my heart, but I had no idea what was going on in the world. So I began to just search a little. ask asked her some questions like, what do you do all day? Um, do you have any friends? Uh, and, and she began to open up. And I made this discovery. Everyone's got their own world. And they want you in. But you need to want to. See through their eyes, hear through their ears. When you're in, that's called relationship. It's a miracle. When God takes two people and makes them one in marriage, it's not about being together, even sexually. It's much more than that. It's about being in each other's heart, being connected. Over the years, I can't tell you how many times Helen has said to me, John, where are you? I hate that question. I'm right here. No, 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 I know you're physically there, but where are you? And then she'd say this, let me in. See, that's the key to relationships. For every single one of us to actually want to get to see through their eyes. I I, want to, your world is different from mine. I want to know yours. Second key is, this is so important. I've learned this, stay amazed stay amazed people ask the question all the time how do you stay in love for a lifetime easy stay amazed it's a choice anyone can get bored to get bored with anything is not the things problem it's your problem I know people that are bored with the Lord do you think that's the Lord's problem no and the thing about being bored is you're the one that pays the price Because you can have the greatest life possible, but it's just a choice you make to stay amazed. And when it comes to relationships, God's created this person. Every one of us in this room created in God's image. How could we ever exhaust the treasure? You think you know that person, think again. There's more to be known. So relationships to me, like for instance, all you young people, if you you ever go on a date one day, you know what a date is? It's a treasure hunt. It's a treasure hunt. You're looking for the treasure on the inside of that person. And if you want to stay in love for a lifetime, never stop treasure hunting. Because yeah. once you think you know, you just blew it. You're all, we're always learning. Always learning. To me, that's the key. Again, if you look at a four-year-old and and ask a four-year-old, what are you going to be? Well, they, they light up. Why? Because they're, they're full of expectations of the future. Jesus said, I'll give you life in that more abundantly. You have more future in you than your present can handle. Hallelujah. To me, the key is stay amazed. As you stay amazed, you go treasure hunting, what you find is more and more of that. I could tell you so many things that it does. You know, one of the things in a quick, just a couple of words, it promotes what's called neurogenesis. Neurogenesis means... New brain cells, it actually promotes the growth of new brain cells. You'll get smarter if you just choose your life to stay amazed. Don't get bored, don't get bored with church. Don't get bored with Ireland. Don't get bored with the people in your world. Don't get bored with yourself. Don't get bored with the person in the mirror. Don't think you know that person. There's more to know. The last one is there's a miracle in a step. There's a miracle in a step. You know, if you want to run 100 miles, someone tells you, can you run 100 miles? Everybody would say, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Just don't think of 100 miles. Just make the next step. Often over the years, many have come for marriage counseling our marriage is over why well and then they give you the list there's a mountain of problems we can never overcome the mountain of problems forget the mountain listen what's one thing one thing you can work on and if you can actually take a step one thing the rest of the mountain we can deal with that we can deal with that to me life's about a whole bunch of moments in other words it's about a whole bunch of steps and there's a miracle in a step. Today is full of moments. Moments are opportunities. A lot of people, we think, they're so lucky they had that opportunity. We miss opportunities. Why? Because we're not looking. We're not expecting them. But every day is full of opportunities. And to me, what, what, one of the life goals I have is grab an opportunity and pour your heart into it. What do you mean? Pour your heart means do something that you've never done before. Do something that needs to be done that's maybe not easy to do. You wanna change the world? Grab a moment and pour your heart into it. My younger brother Joe went to heaven a number of years ago, and I was on the golf course in the morning, and uh, the marshal come driving out and said, "Dr. Burns, Dr. Burns, it, 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 an emergency. You, you're supposed to call home." Called home, and I found out that my brother Joe was in the hospital, and his heart stopped in the middle of the night, and they didn't know how long it would stop and whether his brain was still alive. They re, they re- resuscitated him, but they didn't know. So I'm driving to the hospital, and all I think. God, give me one more moment. If you give me one more moment. I thought, what would I say if I had one more moment? So easy. I'm t- if you're ever in that place, what an easy question to answer. Uh, first thing I'd say is, Joe, I love you. I don't think I'd ever said that to him. But more importantly, Joe, God loves you. And I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd actually said those words to him got to the hospital and his brain had not made it. Two days later, they unplugged him and I watched him take his last breath. And then I went off to Uganda to minister, coming home the night before his funeral. And uh, he was a hero, because he was like the baseball little league coach. And the church, it was a Catholic church, the funeral was packed. Really, every seat looked like this. The middle aisle, though, was, lo- was lined with Little League baseball players big red blotchy eyes because they've been crying all day because they're a coach. And uh, I called my sister the night before, and I said, what am I doing at the funeral? She said, you're not doing anything. No, I have to do something. No, you- no the priest said, you're not allowed to do anything. Why? Because you're not Catholic anymore. <laughs> i'm not saying that to be negative about catholics it's just this the way it was and and so i got to the funeral and i'm not allowed to do anything and i got to the place in the funeral where the the priest he says at this time i'd like to ask joe's two sisters to come and share the eulogy with us would you come right now my sisters marianne and and claire got up and i just got up behind them I just walked behind him, behind them up to the pulpit you should have seen my wife's eyes what is he doing you don't want to know i didn't plan this out i didn't think this but i just had a moment i had to grab it i poured my heart into it and my sisters got up and said what they had to say and then they stepped down and i stepped up and i said um hi Um, I'm John I'm uh, Joe's brother obvious he looks like me and uh, when I heard that his heart stopped all I could think of is one more moment and I thought uh, if I had one more moment what would I say easy I would have told Joe that I, I love you and more importantly God loves you he's made a way for you and and I thought what would Joe say if he had one more moment And then I turned to his wife and I said, Diane, I know what he would have said. He would have told you how much he loves you and how much he wished he would have told you when he had a chance to tell you. Because I know my family. We don't say those things. And then I turned to his three teenage sons. And I said, I know what what dad would have said to you if you had one more moment. And then I turned to everybody and I said, but you know the problem is, I don't have one more moment with Joe. But how many Joes do you have in your world you yes. why wait yeah. yeah. can change the world my sister tattooed one more moment on her arm we've never stopped in our family taking those moments where we'll get together and the way we'll do it is this hey I've got one more moment can I say something Say something that you've not said that needs to be said. I'm sure everyone in the room, there's somebody that needs to hear something that you haven't said. You're waiting for some time to perfect time. This is it. You need to take the moments and pour your heart into it. Can I pray for you? Yes. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Can I take this one more moment with you? Can I tell you how much God loves you? How His purpose and plan for you in your life to go way beyond what you ever imagined or thought. But it's up to you to grab the moment. If you're here and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, you have never personally invited Him to be the Lord of your life. Let me just ask you, if this was your last day and you stepped into eternity, do you know where you'd go? Are you sure? Or are you just hoping? Because if you are born again, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you know that you know that you know, heaven's my home. Hallelujah. And if you don't have that assurance, it's so simple and I just love to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not gonna point you out, I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way, but you're the only one that can make the choice. You might say, well, I remember the day I prayed the prayer like that. I know what you're talking about, but I reckon as where I'm at today is not right. I'm, I'm, I'm not right with God. There's a distance between me and God. Well, you don't leave that way. You can change that. You don't have to walk out of here the way you walked in. This is an opportunity moment. And I'd love to include you in this prayer. So all over the room with your heads bowed, no one looking around. It's your choice. And right now I'm asking you to, if that's you. He'd say, include me in that prayer, wherever you're sitting. Slip your hand up. Can I include you in that prayer? Thank you. 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 So, so important. Really, it's not for me. This is between you and God. If you're sitting there and you're not right with God, you, you can change that right now. Just flip your hand up to Him. Is there anyone else? All right, put your hands down. I'm going to invite everyone in the room to pray this simple prayer. I'll just give you the words. Let's talk to God together. And if you slipped your hand up, say this loud enough for you to hear it and mean it. If you didn't, but you should have, you can do the same thing. But everybody in the room, would you say this with me, Lord Jesus? I believe in you. You are the Son of God. You died on that cross because you love me to pay for my sins. I believe you rose again you're alive forevermore so right now come into my heart and be my lord I give you my life for all eternity thank you Jesus amen amen thank you the lord